Today's reading is from Genesis 45, verses 1 to 15. So I'll give you a little bit of time to find that in your Bibles. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. And he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when, when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by, great, by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph said. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region, region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over him. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. The next part of our reading will be from Genesis 50, verses 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that his father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left us these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed and treated you so badly. Now, please, please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Thanks so much, Nefemi, for uh, that reading. And it'd be great if you can keep... Those, uh, those verses kind of open in front of you for the next little while as we're going to explore them uh, together. 
Uh, I wonder whether you uh, like stories with happy endings. I guess most of us kind of do. Um, over the last six months or so, I've read uh, quite a lot of novels that, that are not like that at all, historical novels, particularly by uh, Robert Harris. Some of you may have read the Cicero trilogy and the, the Pompeii book. And the Cicero trilogy ends up with uh, the kind of hero of the story just being murdered and his life snuffed out in cold blood, where the Pompeii story ends up with the city of Pompeii wiped out by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Not a happy ending in sight in those stories. And, and you're kind of left without that sense of, of resolution and satisfaction that you get from you know, the kind of Hollywood rom-com where they walk away into the sunset after boy gets girl and everybody apparently lives happily ever after. I think we all need a little bit of that kind of Hollywood rom-com escapism every now and then, don't we? I don't want to knock it. But I suppose the truth is that life often isn't particularly full of happy endings. Broken hearts sometimes remain broken. People as we just heard, sometimes die distressing and difficult deaths. Countries ravaged by decades of warfare seem to just spin on and on through cycles of bloodshed, as we've seen so painfully in Afghanistan over the last 10 days or so. It's a really messy world. And it seems to me we actually need stories without happy endings if our art and our literature and to be authentic and equip us and, and resonate with us for the real world. Happy endings. But what about Joseph then? We're coming to the end of Joseph's story. Favorite son, resented by his brothers, sold as a slave, but now ruling Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And as our six chapters today, I'm just underlining that for Simeon, actually. Six chapters today, Sim after your three last week. Sorry, forgive me for that. Um, six chapters. At the end of those six chapters, we find him reunited with his family, apparently living, living happily ever after in Egypt. Classic happy ending stuff, it seems. But there's something much deeper and ultimately much more helpful going on here than just a bit of kind of any dream will do, escapism, happy endingness something much more profound. Let's see what's going on. The story begins with the great reunion, chapters 45 and 6 particularly. About um, five years ago, our daughter Anna, who's uh, here this evening, uh, left home and went to Lebanon. There she is in Lebanon, and she spent the best part of a year there working with Syrian refugees. She did great stuff, and we were so pleased that she was there. But I tell you, we missed her so much while she was away. And then one day, we went off to Heathrow, Terminal 5. We waited by the barriers. Anna walks through, massive hugs, lots of tears. She's back with us again. Fantastic moment for us of reunion. And 
There are lots of reunions in this passage here. And like that reunion with Anna, the reunions here are highly emotional. First of all, Joseph is reunited with his brothers. Chapter 45, verse 1 and 2. Joseph could control himself no longer before his attendants. He cried out, make everyone leave my presence. There was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it as well. Full-on emotional reunion. The brothers are are terrified, understandably, because they remember what they did to him. But, But Joseph reaches out to them and tells them, look, don't beat yourselves up. Don't be angry with yourselves about this. I think it's astonishing, actually, that he said that in about verse five, verse six, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. I think if I'd been in his position, I would have wanted them to be angry with themselves for the wretched stuff they've done. But no, Joseph is reaching out to them. He's being kind, showing grace towards them and reassuring them that God has a plan in all of it. End of verse five, it was to save lives that God sent me here. Several years ago, um, I met a guy who had been chair of the board of trustees of an organization I had worked through and had sat me down for that horribly difficult conversation that you always dread and said to me, I'm sorry, you're going to have to move on. Your time here has come to an end. Really hard process that I, I went through. And then I was on a conference and there was this guy who had read the riot act to me. It's a tough situation. What was I going to do? But, you know, it was so helpful for me, actually, to be able to say, a little bit like Joseph said here, do you know, that decision, of course it was painful, but that was the decision that got me to above bar. God God had a plan. It wasn't my plan, but his plan was actually much better. It helped me so much. The reunion, Joseph and his brothers. But then... Then Benjamin, Joseph's only full brother, the rest of them were were stepbrothers, but Joseph and Benjamin both shared the same mother and father. And through various twists and turns in the story that you've seen so far, this is the first time that there's a reunion with Benjamin. Verses 14 and 15, he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them and after his brothers talked with him. There's so much emotion going on in this reunion, isn't it? So the brothers in general, Benjamin in particular, and then in chapter 46, the reunion with his father, verses 29 and 30. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel or Jacob. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and he wept for a long time. See what's happened? Those dreams that launched the whole story of of sheaves of corn bowing down and, and the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down, they are now being fulfilled after all those years of pain. And the family has come back together. The great reunion. Reunions are often emotional. These reunions were deeply emotional. After all the dysfunction and pain and deceit and rejection and fallout of the past. But now they've come together. Now I know that 
reunions don't always happen, including some reunions that maybe we long for with all our hearts. And sometimes reunions can't happen in situations perhaps of abuse. But I do want to say that God loves reunions. We see it as we go through the whole of the Bible. God loves bringing people together. He loves bringing healing to broken relationships. You get into the New Testament, you see it so clearly in Jesus, where the, the great divisions of the Gentile world, between, of the ancient world, between Jew and Gentile, and male and female, and slave and free, they're broken down in the body of Christ. He loves to bring great reunions. He loves to bring people together. And then think of Jesus' story of the prodigal son, reminding us that God himself knows the deep pain of broken relationship, of separation from one he had loved so much. And then God knows also the torrent of emotional joy when the one who has run away runs home brokenhearted to begin life again with the Father. God knows about broken relationships. God knows the joy of reunion. And the God who saves is a God who loves to restore our relationship with him and wants to restore our relationship with other people as well to lead us to wholeness and peace. Do you know, I think this is a season of reunion and regathering within our church family. We've had all the separation, all the isolation of lockdown, of online church, of, of not seeing people that we used to see every week and now we haven't seen them for ages. But, but we're beginning to come back together. Church is beginning to fill up again on a Sunday. We'd love it to fill up a whole lot faster, to be honest, but that's another story. It's beginning to happen, the reunion. You know, I so missed my church family during the lockdown. And it gives me so much joy to be back together and to talk together and to worship together. Can I just say, as a little aside, thank you for singing your hearts out earlier on. I'd love it if there were like, you know, three or four hundred of us here filling the place so loud that we could hardly cope with the volume. But actually, you were here and you were singing your praise to God with energy and, and reality. And I was sitting at the front and I was so blessed by your singing. And church family is meant to be like that, coming together as the people of God, hearing the sound of each other's praises, the echoes of each other's faith, building each other up in love for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the great reunion and something we're experiencing now. But there's something much deeper than just reunion, just regathering going on here. And we need to penetrate that for a few moments. As well as reunion, there is reconciliation. And for this, we're going to go on to chapter 50 and the second set of verses that Femi read to us. Remember, the brothers had treated Joseph appallingly. And so, although reunion is great, reconciliation needs more than just being in the same room. For reconciliation to happen, there's going to have to be a whole lot of forgiveness as well. And that's what we see here. I don't know what you think about forgiveness, but um, I love the quote from C.S. Lewis, who once said that everybody thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. And maybe that's been your experience as well. You thought it was a great idea 
and then something really, really hard happened to you, and somebody let you down big time. And forgiving them might be one of the greatest struggles of your discipleship. Well, it must have been tough for Joseph as well. When you think of all that those brothers did to him, the callousness, the cold-heartedness, the willingness just to sell him for 20 pieces of silver and reject him, scrub him out of their family's story. But now they're back together. I think it's significant, though, that there's a long journey between the brothers' first appearance in Egypt, when Joseph doesn't even make himself known, and chapter 50 here, when the whole family is together. This isn't just a kind of click of the finger moment. This is a long journey that Joseph has been on. And I, I think it's safe to assume that throughout that journey, it covers about eight chapters of Genesis, throughout that journey, Joseph is going on his own internal journey, working through the process of forgiveness as he tussles with his brothers and tests them and tries to work out where they really are. We should never talk superficially about forgiveness. It's, it's often much more of a journey than an event. I'm sure if you've had hard things to forgive, you'll probably resonate with that. But as we get to chapter 50, that journey of forgiveness reaches its conclusion. It's precipitated by the death of their father, Jacob. And of course, with Jacob dying, the brothers get nervous because they're thinking, okay, now that dad's not here any longer, this is Joseph's opportunity to turn against us and exact his revenge. I guess it's a sign that their underlying sense of guilt still hasn't been dealt with. But as they come to Joseph asking him to forgive them, I guess it's also a signal to Joseph that that journey of forgiveness has still got another step for him to take. So verse 16, they sent word to Joseph saying, your, brother left these instru- your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. As far as we know, the brothers were making up that story. And the fact that they felt they had to make up the story and bring their dead father into it just tells you that the trust has still not really been deeply rebuilt between Joseph and his brother. But still their request has Joseph weeping. Have you noticed just how much weeping there is in these chapters? They're so highly charged emotionally, aren't they? We don't really know exactly what made Joseph weep there. Did he weep because he was recalling all the pain, remembering what it was to be attacked by his brothers and rejected by his brothers and and nearly killed by them and then stuffed into that dry well and then then sold into, into slavery in Egypt as if he was just a piece of property and meant nothing to them? Is that what he was remembering? Or or the pain of that, that unjust accusation by Potiphar's wife that had resulted from him going to Egypt or being forgotten by the baker? Uh, by the, uh, the butler in prison. Was, was he recalling the pain of the past? Is that why he wept? Perhaps it was, as if it all flashed before him in that moment. Or was he actually weeping because he felt the, the lack of trust and, and authenticity between himself and his brothers as they have to make up this story about their dad 
instead of just asking him straight for forgiveness. We don't really know exactly why he was weeping. But what I do know is that I am not the least surprised that Joseph is weeping. Because forgiving people is hard. It's really, really hard. Sometimes we talk about it as if it's just a click of the fingers and it's done. But no, forgiveness is grueling emotionally. It makes you weep. It's really difficult if we take it seriously. So I'm not at all surprised that Joseph is weeping. But I am so moved by the way that Joseph forgives. I think these are some of the most helpful verses in the whole of the Bible on what forgiveness really looks like when great evil has been done. Verses 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So much to learn here about forgiveness. Let me just highlight a few things. But if you're struggling with the issue of forgiveness, please reflect on these because I do think they're so helpful. The first I've already really mentioned, which is that forgiveness can take time. And sometimes we need to allow it to take time. It has been a long journey from those brothers turning up to this moment, this conclusion of profound forgiveness. But the second thing that's so important is that forgiveness doesn't mean saying that what they did was okay after all. This is so important because often when we say, when we perhaps feel challenged in the scripture or by a friend that we need to move forward in forgiveness, we feel like the person is saying, you've got to say that that person didn't actually do anything that was wrong and it was okay after all. Friend, that isn't what forgiveness looks like. Do you notice what Joseph says here? Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended it. You intended to harm me. It's absolutely clear. They have done great wrong. And in forgiving them, Joseph is acknowledging the wrong, not pretending that it wasn't there. And that's so important in forgiveness. If forgiveness is trying to pretend it wasn't wrong after all, it's never going to go deep because it's not real. But Joseph's forgiveness looks their evil in the eye, but is still ready to move on. And then I think again, so importantly, forgiveness means letting God be the judge. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Am I your judge? Joseph is saying, is it really my job to judge you and to say what should happen to you? No, I'm not in the place of God. This is one of the key things in forgiveness, is surrendering our right to be the judge of the other person and say, no, I'm leaving that to God. Somebody was asking me earlier on today, what was it that motivated Joseph to forgive? And we don't really know the full answer to that question, but one of the key things, it seems, that motivated him was actually he realized that it wasn't for him to be in the place of God. He didn't want to be their judge any longer. He would leave that to God. It's one of the key steps to take in forgiveness, leaving judgment to
to God. But then forgiveness also means trusting that God has a plan, even in the mess. Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Look, sometimes we can't see that God has a plan when rubbish things are happening in our lives. Sometimes we can't see that big picture. Joseph could sometimes we can't but still we need to trust God part of releasing the whole situation to him is saying look God I may not understand what you're doing here I feel like I'm the victim but I still trust you that you know what you're doing even if I don't God has a plan and then verse 21 forgiveness is best said out loud and backed up with action Verse 21, don't be afraid, he says, I will provide for you and your children. There's the forgiveness backed up by action. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. When we forgive somebody, if possible, we want them to feel forgiven. Now, that isn't always possible because sometimes the person we need to forgive has died and we don't have that possibility. Or maybe the relationship is such that it wouldn't be safe to articulate that. So I know things are not always clear and straightforward, but whenever possible, we want to forgive out loud and back up the forgiveness with action. When we express forgiveness verbally, we release the other person from our anger. And when we act on that forgiveness, we release our hearts from bitterness and we replace the desire to punish with the desire instead to bless. And you know, when we do that, we are the first beneficiaries. Yes, it will be a blessing to them as well. But as somebody once said, when we don't forgive, it's like allowing our enemy to live in our brains rent-free forever, doing all their damage. And when we release and let them go, we step into freedom. Now, I know in complex situations, working out what it really means to forgive out loud and to bless rather than to punish may need a lot of wisdom. You may need to take a lot of advice on what would be the appropriate way to do that. It's not always straightforward. But when we can, forgive out loud and replace the desire to punish with the desire instead to bless. I'm conscious that in talking about these things, I'm probably touching on some very, very tender issues in some of our lives here. Forgiveness is hard. It's, I, honestly, it's been very hard for me in uh, various different situations in my life as well. I, I know how difficult it can be, but, but it's important. And the Bible is so helpful in what it's saying here. And maybe at the end of this evening, if this has touched some raw nerves for you, it might just be the right time to connect with one or two of our prayer team. I can see a few from the prayer team around the congregation. Perhaps they could just be in this corner at the end. And, and if you'd like to just talk and pray about this forgiveness issue, it might be the beginning of a very important journey for you. And actually, perhaps a bit more widely, we were talking about the church coming back together at the moment. Well, maybe as we come back together as a church family, maybe we've got some forgiving to do so that reunion becomes reconciliation within the church. Forgiving others 
maybe forgiving ourselves as well. Perhaps, perhaps during the lockdown, in some ways, we felt disappointed with other people in the church family or disappointed with ourselves. Or perhaps we've disagreed with people in the church family about how to act uh, in response to the whole lockdown thing, and we've become frustrated or angry with them. Or maybe we felt quite disappointed or let down by church. Church hasn't been ideal through this time. And God is calling us not only to regather, but to reconcile, to reach out in forgiveness and to move forward as a church family together. We can't do it by ourselves. But Joseph's story reminds us that God loves forgiveness. He is himself the great forgiver. And he can help us on the journey of forgiveness to others as well. So it's really important that we ask him to help us so that we can start to move forwards, not just as a regathered church family, but as a reconciled church family as well. And then the third thing in the passage, the reign of God. We've had the reunion, we've had the reconciliation, now the reign of God. You see, we misread Joseph's story if we see it just as a standalone. Verse 19 and 20 again, Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. We've already seen that these are fantastic words in in giving us insight into the whole challenge of personal forgiveness. But they're more than that. These are words which tell us of a God who gets stuck in to the messy realities of life. A family where favoritism and jealousy and violence and rejection and slavery and imprisonment and famine have, have all kind of blighted their history. And yet God gets stuck into a messy family like that. Don't you think if he'll get stuck into a family like that, he might be willing to get stuck into your life and your family as well. He's that kind of God. Yet people are intending stuff for bad, but God gets involved and intends it for good because he's sovereign. And he cares. He's never outmaneuvered. He never gives up. He's working in the mess to save many lives from many nations. Out of the wreckage of a world spoiled by human rebellion and human selfishness. We've seen the reality of that world in Kabul so powerfully this week, haven't we? But, but even in the mess, God is working. The plan that is described here, of course, has already been announced earlier in Genesis to Abraham, chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless you and make you a blessing and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through you. And the plan is being worked out here so clearly now in Joseph's story as he's blessing Egypt and then blessing the surrounding nations by steering them through the famine and giving them a future. But that isn't the end of the plan. The whole plan is still looking forward. It's heading towards Jesus, the greatest saviour of them all. Jesus, who, as Peter put it on the day of Pentecost, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you with the help of wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. See, it's exactly the same as with Joseph. They intended it for evil, nailing Jesus on the cross, but God had a plan. He intended it for good, for the saving of people from across 
the nations because through his suffering, he paid the price for all our darkness and our rebellion and our sin so that we could receive the greatest forgiveness in the universe and be saved to live forever in the presence and under the rule of the sovereign God. God's great plan. He reigns and he saves. Of course, the musical finishes with that great song, doesn't it? Any dream will do. Great song, I love that. I like singing it. But you know, any dream won't do. It won't. That's not the life. It's not the story of Joseph. The conclusion of the story of Joseph is no way that any dream will do. The conclusion of the story of Joseph is that God's plan gets fulfilled. Any dream won't do, but God has a kingdom. He has a plan and therefore the way to avoid a wasted life is to give up our small dreams and be 100% lined up with the great God-given dream of salvation and his kingdom. The dream of God's reign, which brings forgiveness and healing and reconciliation and justice and peace and joy through Jesus, the crucified and risen saviour of the world. So as we leave the story of Joseph behind, have you found in Jesus, let me ask you, the forgiveness and the freedom that you so need? Are your relationships submitted to him, giving to others the forgiveness that you have received? And are your ambitions submitted to him, putting his plans and his dreams before your own? Is your life totally submitted to the advancing of his reign? Because God rules and God cares and God has a great plan, a great mission to save. And he wants you and me, like Joseph, to reflect his care, to fulfill his plan as stakeholders in what he is doing in the world. Matthew's going to lead us in a little bit of prayer reflection.